Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women like me color their hair with gorgeous salon quality, multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and who have loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code writers. That's madison-reed.com. Use the promo code writers. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, no holding back, we're going to discuss the whole new season of Stranger Things 2, including that one episode that everyone either hates or doesn't hate as much as other people. <laughs> we also have the final, final chapter in the Bo Bergdahl case and yet another Another installment in the never-ending Stephen Avery saga. Joining me to dive into all of that is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for your service, Rebecca. That seems inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and feline savior, Laura Bricker. Good evening, Laura. Good evening, and thanks. I've heard from like three different listeners whose cats have um, literally been saved from lilies, so... Um, That's some awesome news. Keep spreading the word about the lilies and cats. Yay! And finally, our favorite skeptic and Amazon-less voiceover talent, the author behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Top of the morning to you. Now, Toby, fun fact thing that happened about you this week is I saw one of our listeners was in France and uh, saw your book translated into French in a French bookstore. Yeah. (laughs) That's so fucking That was pretty impressive. surprising. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that your book had been translated into other languages and it was for sale in other countries? Yeah, it's been translated into like six languages, I think. Wow, that's great. Wow. You can get it in Italy, France, Romania, Russia, <laughs> uh, Taiwan. What was the name of it in French? I remember it was, it was like Les Catacombs. Les Catacombs. <laughs> Instead of the vaults. And I thought it was funny because it was in like a section where it looked like there was actual historic books about yeah. the catacombs. Right. Yeah. And then no, there was Toby's book. And I was like, I don't know. If it- <laughs> they're, they're completely confused about what that is. I th- yes, they, pro- they think it's a, an academic book. Yeah, it's a history. It's my history of the, the French catacombs, <laughs> the Paris catacombs. That's a shitty gift shop. <laughs> So, Kevin, um, speaking of, like, places that books have been released, we had a nice surprise uh, hit our electronic devices this week. Do you want to fill everyone in on what happened? Yeah, we had a a listener say, hey, uh, I'm really disappointed because I live in a foreign country and I can't download this. And it was the audio book of... (laughs) 
One our, of our book. One of our books. One of our books. We're on wow. Audible, finally, people. We are on our, our book, Dark Heart, is on Audible. And we, we knew that that might be in process. We knew it was in the process. We didn't, weren't going to say anything until it came but out. But we didn't know it was actually produced and published and out there. It's been and, out for two weeks. And get this. <laughs> So I just listened to the audio sample. I haven't yeah. actually listened to the book yet because yeah. I read the book. So yeah, because we don't get copies of that, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book, you know, so I don't need to listen to the book. But I listened to a tiny little titch of the audio sample. And can I just like play like a 10 second snippet of it right here? On October 2nd, 2012, Elizabeth Marriott slowed down to make the final turn toward her aunt and uncle's house. All right, so that uh, gravelly-voiced, very serious man is Paul Constanzo, um, Juilliard-educated actor, actor, and voiceover artist, reading our New Hampshire-based true crime book. That's pretty crazy. For him, it is. He's like, (laughs) how bad has my career become? (laughs) So, Laura, we heard a couple months ago that your book, Lie After Lie, was coming out in audio. Like, it's not out yet, though. So, apparently, like, ours was, for some reason skipped ahead of yours. I don't know why. Where is yours? I have no idea. All I know, some lady tweeted at me that was doing the audio for it, and she was all excited. She had completed the audio. Um, but then when I inquired with my agent, I was told they kind of move at a different pace in the audiobook world. They said they, they need a lot of lead time. So I'm not sure what that means. But uh, you know, stay tuned. It should be here maybe just in time for Christmas. <laughs> Apparently, our book has no post-production whatsoever. No, I'm sure it does. You probably had I'm no sure errors, it's great. Yeah. Check it out, Dark Heart on Audible. If you're an Audible member, audible.com slash crime check out our book dark heart now kevin i hate to like be too inside baseball here but we have some inside baseball business we need to take care of do yes you know last week we had that big announcement on the show Mm -hmm. that amazon was shutting down our affiliate store and we on the amazon day and we posted the letter that they sent us which i don't know if we were supposed to do that or not but (laughs) how much more trouble can we get with amazon (laughs) exactly um and as a result we did have some people kind of step up (laughs) because when i when i mentioned that you know we use the amazon money to pay for our utilities around here like we literally do that's what pays for our hosting fees and our studio electricity and like it's literally the infrastructure that keeps the podcast running and um i'm gonna ask you to do something in a second but i just want to acknowledge one listener who i don't have permission to use her name on the show Mm -hmm. but she is the ceo of a company and she sent us a really generous donation this week. And as she said, um, consider me a big fan of the shows and I'm a power CEO trying to compensate for the actions of another power CEO. So you know who you are, listener. I just want to give you a nod. Uh, your support is really appreciated and it will keep us from dipping into our kids' college funds to pay the electricity bills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When she says she's a power CEO without narrowing it down. She's literally she's a power in, CEO. She's, yeah, she, <laughs> she's literally in a Her CEO company of a has power to do company. with energy. And yes. so she wants to pay for our light bill after we complained about that's it. So right. That was really nice. That's right. Now, Kevin, we also have a couple Patreon people we need to thank real, real quick. Yeah, yeah. The following listeners have chosen to support Partners in Crime Media at the $5 a month or greater level. In the past three months, we have Jen Wallace, Mae Connolly, Sue Bree. I think that's your last name, B-R-E. Maybe you abbreviated that, Sue. Kathleen Doolin, Marlene F. from Holland, Ruthie Redman, Megan Maxey, Joanne True, Aaron Medley, Claudia Burke, Teresa R., Connie Melinaro, Kara from Spoiled Cats Crochet, <laughs> Jennifer Robbins, 
and Susan Handy. And in addition, 12 other listeners are supporting us at another level. Hey, some of you guys, you know, one of the benefits of Patreon is that we will follow you on Twitter. <laughs> but not all of you are on Twitter. left Twitter um, uh, addresses in Patreon. So just email us or tweet at us, and we'll we'll make that right. And so, like we said, what does this pay? This covers the monthly subscription cost of the software needed to produce this podcast at high quality, including all of the editing software and these multiple remote connections. It's special software. It's not Skype. It's not. It's, it's, it's all expensive. and it's all monthly. We have to pay these at, at professional rates, and so I'm not uh, knocking Skype yeah, podcasts. You know, yeah. And, but and our not, show doesn't not that sound you, like a Skype you know, podcast. Everybody has been super generous, but this is what it goes for, and it also acts as seed money for new podcasts like. HGTV and me and some others that you're going to be hearing about in the future. That's right. Now, Laura Bricker, uh, I have a couple questions for you. Um, As you might be able to tell, I don't know if you guys can tell, I'm pretty tired. I flew back from Portland, Oregon today. I had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to get on a plane to come back here in time to take the show. 3 o'clock Pacific? Yes, it was actually 6 here, but I was on Pacific time the whole time I was there, so I only slept for like four hours. Also because uh, I had dinner with one of our listeners last night uh-huh. in Portland, which was also really fun. Story for another day. So, Laura. Here before um, liquor, never sicker. When I landed today, <laughs> I, I saw some uh, a couple of pieces of news that I wanted to ask you about. One okay. is a listener flagged that the Department of Homeland Security is doing some sort of big <laughs> investigation <laughs> in your tiny town of Exeter, New Hampshire. Like, what the hell is going on over there? Well, as one of my friends, the upmarket intuitive tweeted at me last night or she texted me last night she said this is bigger than the swingers scandal that we had a few years ago and that was big when we had the swingers meeting in the basement of the movie theater i mean our puritan village the veneer has been cracked so now supposedly there's some sort of massage parlors with happy endings that were setting up shop in southern new hampshire northern massachusetts and it sounds like there may be some human trafficking taking part in this it's a serious story it's a serious story, but um, it was, you know, in our little, like, uh, burb of Exeter where everything looks so nice when you drive downtown, something like this, everyone is like, oh, what's yeah. going on? Yeah. Were there helicopters? <laughs> there, were, there were helicopters. No and way. I'm going to tell you. Yes. No, and I learned I, I learned something new. So um, I looked up these people were people that were advertising on, like, Craigslist and Backpage.com. And um, the way that this was sort of flagged, they advertised they had a new table shower. And I'm like, what the hell is a table shower? So according to Urban Dictionary, a table shower is like code for a happy ending massage. Hmm. Isn't yeah. it so literally a table shower? <laughs> Lovely. Where you're Not on the table and they instance. hose you down like... Like a sponge bath? Yeah, yeah or yes. like with the dishwashers <laughs> in the back kitchen. <laughs> oh, boy. This is the jet lag edition of Crime Writers, and I'm not doing a good job moderating this discussion it's at okay. all. It's okay. My son learned what prostitution meant because oh. I was on the hands-free in my car when I was talking to somebody about this, trying to figure out what was happening. And he's like, Mom, what does that mean? And I'm like, always in the when car. two people love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> and one's really got 60 bucks. <laughs> Remember how Stampy had chlamydia? Yes. Yeah. Kevin, that's an excellent transition to the next poorly moderated portion of the podcast I wanted to ask Laura about. Yes. Catgate. You are on a hunt to, I don't want to say replace Stampy, Stampy's irreplaceable, but you are on the hunt to find another cat for your home and your family to love and adopt. 
Yes. And um, it's turning into a whole thing. What the hell is going on over there? It's um, it's really quite something. I need to take a little step back from this. So, you know, we want to find, we have our one cat, Zelda, who never really makes a public appearance in the house except late at night when we're not moving. Um, <laughs> so we're looking for like another orange male kitten because they're they're kind of like dogs. It's, it's known. I've heard from a lot of our podcast listeners, um, one woman who's had an orange male cat in her life since 1968. On a continuous basis, so it's a thing. Not the same orange. No, 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 not no. the same. Okay. But she's had like a series of like eight or ten <laughs> yeah. of these orange cats. It's like Paul McCartney and his sheepdog Martha. <laughs> it's like finding yeah. a freaking unicorn. Right. I mean, Is and it? it's like crazy. So Betsy, who got a stampy, doesn't have any right now. So I went racing over to our local um, humane society because I had seen they had kittens coming in. Um, they had one orange male kitten and they had to, and I and there was a line forming like the Macy's like bride sale before the place even opened. So I was in the line. I was like second in line and this woman in front of me had her cat carrier ready to go and I said, "Oh, are you here for a kitten?" and she said, "Yes." And I said, "Oh, which one?" and she said, "Oh, the orange male." I said, "Oh, our orange male just died." I was hoping for that one. I was trying to kind of play on the sympathy yeah, and she goes, yeah. "Well, Maybe you should get a different color cat this time. <laughs> Did you get a name? And I was like, you know what? Good luck with your cat, lady. What a bitch. Um, a little bitch. Cat I know. bitch. <laughs> I know. So I don't want to jinx it, but I have now um, possibly secured more than one cat. Um, my husband's a little worried about this. Jeez. He said this week, um, I'm afraid I'm going to come home and there's going to be like 50 cats at the house. Yeah. And that is a real potential, but it's not going to happen. We're a little bit afraid of that, um, too, to be totally honest with you. Because I mean, I mean, Kevin can never come over to your house again if <laughs> I am like so allergic. Cats. No, yeah, yeah, um, but it's it's kind of like adopting a child. Like some of these cat places um, are pretty intense. They want to like do a home visit at your house to make sure it's suitable for cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so stay tuned. There could be an announcement in the near future, but I don't want to jinx it. Fingers I am stalking crossed. some people though. Yeah, as long as that bitch doesn't get there first. <laughs> she already got her cat. She's not coming back. You only get one. She's been okay? neutralized. Wow. Wow. Well, we do have some actual um, true crime stuff to talk about on this week's show, if you can believe it, Kevin. Um, After we taped last week, actually, like the day after we taped, finally an answer to the serial season two Bo Bergdahl case. And that qualifies us for one of these, Kevin. True crime podcast update. There was a sentence. Do you want to run that down for us, Kevin? Yeah, sentence came out, as you probably already know. Uh, Bergdahl was found guilty. Uh, He received a dishonorable discharge. He was fined $10,000, but received no prison time left the courtroom in civilian clothes and was you know, essentially drummed out of the army. So, Toby, do you think that the sentence fits the crime? Do you think this was the fair outcome in this case? You know, it's a tough one uh, for me. I mean, I, I think that's probably equitable. I could see where people would object to it and that it's too lenient and that what he did did put people in danger and things like that. And the idea that, you know, sort of time served as a prisoner of war is punitive enough and I think I'm probably fine with that, but I could see where the objection would be. I do think, as we've talked about before, that having the commander in chief making his thoughts about it known made it really difficult for them to come up with anything other than this. What do you think, Laura? Do you think this was a fair outcome uh, in this case? I'm really glad he didn't get jail time because I thought that, you know, after what he's been through, that would have been absolutely ridiculous. So I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad he's not going to jail. I was a little upset, disappointed, I guess, that, you know, because of the dishonorable discharge, he's going to lose the medical benefits. Right. And I was like, this guy... 
if anybody needs medical benefits and access to mental health services and follow-up care, it's it's Bo Bergdahl. And I was complaining about this to my husband. He's like, well, there's going to be so many people that want to kind of like study him and do research with what he's been, you know, so there, he's thinking, you know, maybe he'll fall into some sort of um, help. But that that was the part I was like, ah, oh, this guy, I hope he doesn't just go back and go out into the middle of nowhere and get no follow-up mental health care. Yeah. Well, I want to say props to Wyrick, because this was pretty much the outcome he predicted when he was on our show. Right, Kevin? He did not think uh, Bergdahl would get a dishonorable discharge, right. which kicks in the, the, the consequences that Laura right. referred to. Bergdahl does say, though, that his lawyers can, and I believe they will, appeal that part of his conviction mm-hmm. to get him maybe a bad conduct discharge right. or, or general discharge right. so that he can receive you know mental health benefits and other benefits uh, from the VA because of his you know permanent injuries physical and psychological from being a POW Laura I think what some people would say you know in rebuttal to your your well-laid point is that boy if anybody needs services from the VA, it's that sergeant who was shot in the temple going out to look for him. Yeah. It's a, you know, a, I think a, a fair case uh, to make. You see a lot of this on social media, even among our own listeners. There are people who have family that serve in the military, feel very strongly about this, that the punishment uh, was too lenient. Uh, there are other people that felt that he had done something wrong and was, you know, already punished above and beyond. And it's funny, the thing, the take, one of the takeaways I have from Serial Season 2 is that, I forget who said it, but they said that the more people knew about the Bergdahl case, yep. the more compassionate and lenient they felt towards Bergdahl. The less they knew, the angrier they were and the the more punitive they thought Isn't it should be. Isn't that kind of like a no-shit Sherlock thing? Isn't that the way it is with every legal case? Probably. <laughs> the more you know, the more compassion you feel. Typically, I mean, that, that's kind of the way I think well, it I think, I think it, it, it speaks to that once people sort of know what the mitigating factors are. Right, right. I, I don't know. I think this is the final chapter in, you, you know, serial season two. Meantime, serial season one continues to drag on. Yeah, yeah. When, and I, I do think that the Undisclosed team, you know, Rabia has hinted on Twitter that they're expecting a decision in that uh, last appeal fairly soon in the Anand Syed case. So we, that... Well, you jinxed us last week, so you're probably jinxing us this week. <laughs> it, should, it, it, it should be moving on at some point. So, Kevin, we have uh, one of these this week, and it's one we haven't talked about in a while. Can you go ahead and read this for me? Another, Another true, true crime, crime update. update. True crime podcast update. It's not just a, it's a TV <laughs> you're show. Right, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're totally right. It's both. So last week I was at my day job at work and I saw a very surprising thing pop up on social media. It was a little article published by the Oxygen Network with the headline, The Maura Murray Case Has Been Reopened. Mm. And uh, in this article, there was a claim made that new evidence uncovered in the documentary, The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Wait, is this the documentary that we've specifically been not talking about on our podcast? Yes, that documentary uh, uncovered, quote, chips of wood from a closet from a home near the crash site with blood on it, which may or may not belong to Maura Murray. And as a result, the New Hampshire State Police and AG's office were, quote, Reopening the case. This is according to the, according to the, the original Oxygen article website. posted okay. by the Oxygen website. Now, I thought to myself, self, mm-hmm. this doesn't seem right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as you all may know, in my day job, I actually work in a newsroom, and so we decided to do a little story about this. And the, the headline of the story we were able to publish later in the day was. 
no, the Maura Murray case has not been reopened. So here's the story. Um, The Maura Murray missing person case has not been reopened, as the Oxygen Network claimed, because according to New Hampshire officials, including the state police and the attorney general's office, the Maura Murray case was never actually closed. It is an open, ongoing case in the cold case unit. Of course, Maura Murray was that student at the University of Massachusetts. Amherst, she disappeared in 2004. Her case has gone kind of viral on the internet in terms of interest. It is the basis of the Missing Maura Murray podcast and this docuseries, The Disappearance of Maura Murray. Uh, we reached out to Jeffrey Strelzen at the, um, mm-hmm. the Chief of the Homicide Unit at the New Hampshire AG. He's been in several of our books. I think we all know who Jeff Strelzen is here on this show. And not only did he want to go ahead and confirm that, no, it has not been reopened because it was never, in fact, closed, he also wanted to refute a little bit of the language in the show. He's actually in the documentary, in the show, and he wanted to to basically say it was edited to appear different from the truth of the investigation and how it actually Uh played out. uh And he also wanted to point out that the um, characterization of wood chips with blood on them he believes is a dramatized version. What is the actual quote in the story? The actual quote is... First of all, he says, I've seen bits and pieces of the show. It's been reported back to me some of what's been said, too, and I've seen some of it. There are some inaccuracies in it, he says. And then he also says um, the, quote, wood chips described in the oxygen story are basically just pieces of wood. Wood (laughs) chips bring to mind a different image, he says. Certainly the report is not of any investigative value. Not of any investigative Um, value. So basically what he's saying is that, you know, I think what he was trying to get at is that wood chips sounds like, it sounds like a wood chipper. Like Fargo. Was used in a crime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or that maybe somebody was held in a closet like an animal with wood chips on the floor. Uh And what he's just saying is like, no, there may have been blood on a closet and a piece of wood was gouged out of that closet. There's DNA on the wood. But not attributed to anybody. It's it's, it's not possible, I guess, too, at this point. It's just, it's, Uh you know, too far degraded. Now, as a side note, NBC Universal reached out to my newsroom after we published our story and they said as a result of our reporting, they were revising their stories. Because you you were getting a lot of, you guys, your organization, yeah, getting a lot HPR. of crap. Uh, you're getting trolled. By James the, Renner, basically. Was okay. the only person who was trolling us. Basically so it was saying, a hit job. No, he was saying it was a hit piece. And I'm like, no, this is actually just what reporting looks like. It's not a hit piece. So, yeah, he was kind of sort of tweeting about it. And then also the reporter who was actually on The Oxygen Show, who seems, by the way, like a perfectly nice person, uh-huh. who is just on a TV show, which we've talked about on the show before. Like, when you're on a TV show, you have so little control over the final product. Yeah. It's, and you think, you, you one thinks that you do because you're the reporter. Right. But again, I think everything she does just gets taken. She certainly didn't write the story on the Oxygen site. She wrote a Facebook page about how it was inaccurate and she was telling them. She also backed it up. She did not not stand behind the Oxygen story. And she also didn't stand behind this claim that the thing had been reopened. Mm -hmm. She seems like a very nice person who's just doing the best she can who ended up on a TV show over which she has very little control. Yeah. Laura, I know you know Jeff Strelzen. I feel like name dropping for a sec. I bumped into him and the state's new attorney general about... I think it was about the third week that this show was on, and mm-hmm. we were at the State House, and I was like, hey, Jeff, since I've been seeing you on TV, and uh, I don't know, it kind of makes you, I, I, I'm not sure you like the way this is going to go. And he <laughs> said, no, 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 I talked to him. They said in the end it's going to come out okay. And I'm thinking, huh. man. Good luck with that, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're I, so, I don't know. This one time, I don't think it's going to work out like you think it's going to work out. <laughs> It's always different. We've all, you know, in true crime, you know, book writing, been on those sort of docudrama shows. And it's like mine was 
so inaccurate. And I was like, how did, did they not read the book or read the case information? <laughs> they don't, like, they, they just don't give a shit. It's not, it wasn't a good TV yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, so it is, it is frustrating when you're, you're, you're kind of the expert on the subject, but yet your expertise is not taken into account when you are involved in a project. Yeah. And basically your expertise is used as filler sound bites to yeah. to supplement the weird reenactments that they sort of put like we started watching disappearance of more of more because we were thinking about talking about it on our show mm-hmm. and we basically made the choice to not talk about it on the show because we didn't want to have to subject Laura and Toby to watching like eight episodes of this. <laughs> At the same time, we were watching the Lacey Peterson show, which was so well done in so many ways. This was concurrent. And it just felt like a difficult thing. It didn't, it didn't feel so substantially different from the podcast, which we had already talked about, right? Yeah. I'd yeah. rather talk about Stranger Things twice <laughs> than talk about this version of Maura Murray. All right. Well, the other uh, one of these that we have, Kevin, can you please read this for us? True crime update. <laughs> My break um, is getting a little higher. It is. Rebecca. You're yeah. working really hard on yeah. it. Yeah. I, get a I, I feel like you're compensating. Updates. I feel like you're yeah. compensating for my like United Airlines voice that I have right now. We're just the sickest. I- <sighs> no, I'm not sick. I've been, and you know what, Rebecca, we use the same electric toothbrush. This is a problem. It's true, but listen. <laughs> If we ever get this airline as a sponsor on our show, I will come back and erase this tape. That airline treats you like a sardine and puts you in a can in a seat that is too small for even a small person. And my entire organs all feel like they've been squished up into a tiny ball right now. So if listeners, if I sound terrible and I seem out of it, that is why. Please forgive me. I hope there's an airline CEO listening. (laughs) Does it start with an S? No, it's United. It's the United Experience. Oh, because Spirit is even worse. Oh my God, I'll never ever fly them again. (laughs) Listen, listen, I know that Spirit is legendarily bad. And the people who worked at United on all my planes today were lovely. The people were lovely. The process is total garbage. And I know I'm not alone in thinking and saying it. I feel like I just have to think and say it out loud. It's kind of messing up our show right now. So anyway, Kevin, could you read this again and get us back on track? Okay, sure. It was true crime update. (laughs) Oh, damn it. Peter Brady. Yeah. So Laura Bricker, our old friend, Kathleen Zellner, Stephen Avery's attorney. Of course, Stephen Avery, the protagonist of Making It a Murderer. Um, She had a swing and a miss uh, recently in some court proceedings. We talked about another thing she filed and uh, she still remains busy. What the hell is going on? I know. Well, first of all, I think we need to have a nickname for her. Not like legal Siri, (laughs) but like something like she's just like a legal motion file. She's like a motion filing machine. I mean, it's insane. (laughs) Um, So, yes, Kathleen Zellner has filed more documents in the Stephen Avery case. The latest round, um, the ones they were filed just at the end of last week, alleged that Stephen Avery's sister Barbara and her husband know more than they're letting on. So, um, very mysterious. Is anyone going to send him a Christmas card from his family? (laughs) He's basically accused... Or gotten everybody arrested. Yeah. It gets worse. So this this new filing comes on the heels of another filing that we just talked about, I think, either last week or the week before, in which Stephen Avery's nephew, Bobby Dassey, was implicated. And Bobby is the older brother of Brandon Dassey. Bobby was implicated in the 2005 murder of Teresa Halbeck. 
And in that filing, the finger was pointed at Bobby. Apparently, this came as a shock to the Avery family. They didn't know that this was going to be filed. And so as a result of that, tongues were wagging, recorded phone calls, and another filing was made last week as a result of statements made by the Avery and Dassey families about that information about Bobby. Who is recording these phone calls? How about the documentary team? How about the jail? Um, I'll get to that. Yeah. So, So all of these, you know, this flutter of filings comes in the wake of the court denying Stephen Avery's request for a new trial in September after the 1,200-page motion by Kathleen Zellner. And just to kind of recap, because this is super confusing. Um, so after his new trial was denied, she filed a motion saying there's more information that has been unearthed that will change the outcome. And she specifically honed in on Bobby Dassey, saying he lied on the stand. And there were also those allegations about the family computer um, at the Dassey house with all the creepy porn on it and that Bobby was the only one home that could have looked at that. Right. This gets even worse. There's another, there are so many Dassey brothers. I guess there's five. Mm -hmm. Brian Dassey, um, (sighs) who has come forward and said, Bobby said, Stephen couldn't have killed Teresa because Bobby had seen Teresa leave that day. Mm -hmm. So new information, another Dassey brother, Mm -hmm. Brad Dassey. (laughs) They all have B names, like every single one of them, right? (laughs) And like the mother, Barbara. So Brad now reveals that Barbara, the mother, Stephen's sister, told him she hired somebody to delete the creepy porn from the computer. Mm-hmm. What do you have to and hire a, somebody? And never mind, keep going. Because <laughs> they didn't even know how to use it. I don't okay. know. Yeah, yeah. And that a computer expert um, forensic person actually confirmed that, yes, stuff had been deleted. This is where the jail call and these new conversations come into play. And this new filing references an audio file, which is basically a recording of a jail phone call between Stephen Avery, his sister Barbara, and her new husband, Scott Tadich. Okay. So Kathleen says that this phone call shows that these people are all just not credible. Um, Barbara and Scott. On the call, Avery, Stephen Avery asked his sister about, quote, all that shit on the computer. Barbara denied having internet service, like she doesn't know how anything got on the computer. Then she kind of admits, well, I did have internet, but it must have been somebody who like snuck in my house to look at creepy porn. Hmm. Stephen also asked about Bobby's statements changing about, you know, seeing Teresa leave and not seeing Teresa leave. Then there's a nice exchange where Stephen references Bobby's conflicting statements. And later, Scott Tadich says he's going to assault Stephen Avery and put him in the quote fucking ground. Hmm. So... There's just a lot of family dysfunction, and I really think they need to change the naming system for the boys in this family because I am so confused (laughs) about who all these people are. Like, I think we need to have nicknames for them, perhaps, because I can't even keep this straight. So just more motions filing, more things happening, and um, this case will go on forever. Toby, remember the good old days when Kathleen Zellner and the documentarians were irresponsibly just throw in like the ex-boyfriend under the bus like that seems like the good old days now right (laughs) yeah i uh (laughs) you know i I don't really i don't have much to say other than i mean it's just you know it's largely just kind of sad yeah that this family's trying to deal with this regardless of what happened what's happening to the family is traumatic and the way they seem to deal with it is turning on each other i don't know i it it seems like it would be great if they had somebody who could kind of advise them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. N- nobody's winning in this, right, right? Right. See, Lord, it seems to me, and again, I didn't go to law school, that 
all of the stuff that she brings up has to do with the credibility of witnesses, not new evidence. And it has been established that the credibility of witnesses is left for a jury to decide mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and not for a judge. And it just seems like this is a big smokescreen or waste of time to talk about he said this and she said that. It doesn't prove anything as far as judicial error. No, there's the only thing that is, you know, you if you hone in on anything is that, yes, there was conflicting information about whether or not Teresa Hallback left that day. And there's the computer with the really disturbing images, which the forensic person says, were looked at when Bobby was home. Right. Um, but that's not necessarily an error, like you said, that the judge made. That's that's maybe something that didn't come out during trial. All right. So now, Kevin, um, you know, as a side observation with this Stephen Avery stuff, you know, we all just finished watching Mindhunter. And there was that whole scene in Mindhunter where Holden gets the confession out of that tree trimmer killer. Mm-hmm. Basically, by bringing into him into an interview room and just surrounding him with evidence of the right. murder, right? Right. Uh, you know, the girl's outfit and her like cheerleading stuff. You know, um, then, was it a rock? Her majorette. What yeah, was the, the rock? Fa- yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you notice any similarities to the way that uh, Brendan Dassey's own defense investigator, Michael Kelly, uh, tried to get his own client? When we saw that confession in the in the Teresa Hallback case in making yeah, a murderer, yeah, I know I did. Laura didn't see it because her eyes were so red <laughs> with rage, with rage <laughs> that she couldn't actually see it. But when I when I saw him making a murderer and saw that, I said, "That's an FBI profiler technique where they mm-hmm. bring in all this." Stuff. And you remember that O'Kelly set up all of the sudden letters and everything with the purpose of getting his own client to confess. Oh, it still which makes was, me, it still burns my butt. Yeah. <laughs> And if you want, if if you want to hear an f bomb, let's talk to Laura Bricker about this. <laughs> what did you think, Laura? Did you did you notice the parallels? Yeah, no, it's just it's so freaking ridiculous. That was one scene where I got so mad watching Mindhunter because I was like, oh, they're so entrapping this guy, they're manipulating him, and it was just it was making me so angry, but not quite as angry as I was watching poor oh. Brendan Dassey being In taken advantage life. of by that yeah. horrible, horrible defense investigator who was like, I can't even, I've blacked it out of my mind. It made me so angry. But what did he say about the family to the attorney? He said something horrible about the family being all from like the same tree stump or something horrible that was just like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that about his own client. I mean, it was awful. Same tree stump? I think he, it I, was I something horrible. Said, remember what he said? Yeah. I think he said like their family tree is a circle or something like that. Yes. It was something uh, yeah. horrible. Yeah. And started and just, crying. Their family tree is a wreath or something like yeah. that. <laughs> so, oh, God. I've tried to move on, Kevin. It just made me too angry when I watched it the first time. But um, yeah. And I, I do feel like we've gotten into like some... Um, like joking territory with all these ridiculous Kathleen Zellner filings around Stephen Avery, but we should not forget that poor Brendan Dassey, poor Brendan Dassey, clearly railroaded, still in yeah. prison, and that's the real tragedy of this case. Yeah, that was that's really was Brendan Dassey's problem is that he did not have a, a legal team that was working in his best interest, right? Especially not a defense investigator. I don't know where he got him, but you know when you want to have like the best people working for you. Why not go to LinkedIn and do your job post there? <laughs> Get your defense investigator on LinkedIn. Defense investigator, accountant, 
communications director, new CEO, whatever it is. I mean, 70% of the workforce is already there on LinkedIn. And 22 million professionals view and apply for jobs on LinkedIn every week. And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, locations, and much more to match and promote jobs to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. You know that if you are in a position where you need to hire somebody for your small business or your large corporation, there are a lot of choices of where you could put this. Oh, yeah. The totally. newspaper. Totally. <laughs> would make me laugh. So many of these different kinds of boards. But, you know, this is probably the most effective one. And you have to think about using LinkedIn jobs. A business is only as strong as its people. So every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping that the right person will find the role and apply. Otherwise, you end up in jail like Brendan Dassey wishing, man, I wish I had hired a defense investigator on LinkedIn jobs <laughs> instead of just letting the court appoint one for me, yeah. which was fucking bullshit. So don't be part of any fucking bullshit. Go to LinkedIn.com slash crime. If only the Dassies had internet. <laughs> if only they had internet. <laughs> Yeah, be smarter than uh, the Dassies. When you're posting your next job, go to linkedin.com slash crime and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crime for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. All right. What else you got, Kevin? Well, do you want to drink wines like a millionaire? I'm drinking wine like a millionaire yes. right now. No, I'm not talking quantity. Oh, I'm talking quality. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Why would you want quality wines but pay huge amounts of money for that? Which is why when I want the best wines, I buy them from Cameron Hughes Wine. Cameron Hughes, this, he's a real person, not like Chef Boyardee. <laughs> not like, is well, Chef Boyardee actually a real like person? Not Jemima? <laughs> no, Duncan Hines was real. Betty Crocker was fake. Yeah, I think I think you're off topic here. Have I gone Stick off topic? Cameron, he's a real. I'm person. sorry, Cam. Mrs. Butterworth, <laughs> Mrs. Real? I don't know, Toby. <laughs> Mr. Clean, <laughs> Mr. Clean, no. Mr. He's real. I saw his picture online. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Cameron oh. Hughes. No, I looked up his oh, picture. Oh, sure, Cameron Hughes is. Yeah, <laughs> he's real. I yeah, no, up. no. I Cameron. We go. Way, I don't want to say way back, but we had a nice phone call all about his business because he wants our listeners to really get what Cameron Hughes Wines is all about. He goes and he. He finds that needle in a haystack wine by going to top wineries around the world. And then he blends and sells them direct to you under his own label for 50% less than what you pay at retail. Gets the same wine and just puts it in his own bottle. And he's able to use that buying power to get luxury wines at affordable prices. Here's the clincher. Cam guarantees all of his wines. So if you're unhappy with any bottle you buy from him, he will make it right. Laura, do you have a bottle of Cam Hughes wine that you're like? Cam. Cam, yeah, Cam's my buddy. Do you have Do you have some wine from Cam? Um, I already drank my wine from Cam. <laughs> um, I, I had a nice bottle of white, but I was out and about in um, downtown, and I ran into this guy who is a total wine snob in our town, who's uh -huh. actually getting ready to launch a very fancy wine bar and I said oh have you heard of this Cameron Hughes wine and he's like oh yeah it's really good wine I used to get it all the time mm -hmm. so I was like I took that as okay it really is very good wine because this guy 
knows his wine and like has you know a wine cellar at his house and he was buying cases of the Cameron Hughes wine so it's it's legit yeah this is part of what Cam has been doing he, he has been doing this Damn. obtaining wines for retailers and for restaurants and now he's doing the same thing for consumers find out why Cameron Hughes wine is the preferred wine choice by informed and passionate wine lovers like Laura Bricker I want you to try these wines so I convince Cam while I was talking to him to give our listeners an incredible deal on great wines. You're going to go to chwine.com and use code CRIME. You're going to get free shipping on three or more bottles and a free sommelier-grade corkscrew. You don't want a corkscrew where you pull it through and it straightens out. No, you want a sommelier-grade corkscrew. Exactly. This is a great deal to try all these already discounted wines, and free shipping is huge because wine is heavy, my friend, and expensive to ship. This wine is fantastic. This deal is fantastic. Do not miss out on this limited-time offer. Go to chwine.com and use the code CRIME right now. That's chwine.com and enter code CRIME. CRIME. Well, last week we teased it, but now we're going to do a full review of Stranger Things Season 2. And yes, listeners, it may include some spoilers, so get over it. <laughs> if you still haven't completed the Netflix series, you know, you can always shut off the podcast to come back when you're done. Or you can just listen, enjoy our conversation, watch Stranger Things, don't watch Stranger Things. We don't care. We're just really excited to talk about it. The gang is all back for Stranger Things 2, including Eleven, but this time there are more monsters, more danger, more references to 80s stuff and 90s stuff. The question is, does the sequel live up to the hype of the original, or is it at least good enough to carry on the series? Now, Kevin, Liz, in our Facebook group made a very astute observation about the series and I want your take on it. Okay, Liz. She says that Stranger Things 2 has a middle of the series feel to it as a season. Mm. A little bit like Empire Strikes yeah. Back in the Star Wars franchise where new characters are introduced and they sort of have the beginnings of storylines that are sort of asides and that there are plot lines that are like a little bit divergent and not quite closed. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that comparison between this season and Empire oh, Strikes Oh, I think Back? Liz, that's actually an excellent point. I don't know if Liz made the comparison to Empire or you did, Rebecca. She did. I'm giving her credit. Yeah, it's an act two, which, you know, is not where things end and can sometimes be really disappointing. Not in the case of Empire, but it did sort of leave, you know, certain things left unfinished. So, yeah, and I also kind of felt a little bit like they're going to do four seasons. So I felt like they're pasting on seasons two, three, and four to what was already a very complete season one. So it may not all fit all the same grooves because they might not think they were coming back. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. uh, But uh, some of the seams show. Right. Now, Toby, you wrote a trilogy. What do you think of this comparison of Stranger Things to feeling like the middle of a trilogy or the middle of a, a series? You know, the trilogy I wrote, isn't like a continuous story like this. Yep. So it's a little bit different, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of problems. I, I just don't think Stranger Things 2 is nearly as good as the first one. Mm-hmm. I think some of it is sort of the nature, like Kevin was saying, is that it, it's not apparent to me that they intended to have a second season when they were doing the first season. So you're kind of put in that situation where, okay, so now we have to do a second season. What are we going to do? And I guess I hadn't even heard about those four seasons. But to me, sort of the comparison I I thought of was Alien and then the sequel. Mm -hmm. I mean, Alien is a great movie. And part of of it and of Stranger Things, one, is you don't know exactly what's going on. 
you know, there's a mystery. And then at the end, you, you do understand what's going on. And then so in the sequel, it's like, okay, that mystery has been solved. And then it just becomes kind of like an action thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean in Aliens like, where Paul Reiser plays the company man who appre- who tells you everything's going to be okay and it isn't? Is Paul Reiser in that too? Yeah, in, in <laughs> Aliens? You remember Ripley wakes up and he's yeah. like, "Yeah." I'm this was sorry. a there was a lot of references. I mean, the references. I totally in this, forgot about that. The, yeah. the references in like you know there were tons of references in Stranger Things the first season. Mm-hmm. The references in series two were out of control. You could barely go through a scene without getting like a brand new or like super clear reference. I mean, there were references. A lot of shot by shot. Yeah. reenactments of certain more things. More yeah. standby yeah, stuff. The there was more shining stuff. There was stuff straight from the Goonies in this. It was not it wasn't oh. just evocative of the Goonies. It was like Sean Astin was in it delivering lines like from the Goonies in it. There was like a lot of pretty in pink, like John Hughes references. There were some much more direct lines drawn, I think, to Stephen King's It, the book, with especially the um the character of Max, who is clearly Beverly from uh-huh. It, the red headed girl from the close encounters. Yep. Indiana Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yep. <laughs> and when you wear that hat, Hopper has to go back and get his hat. Yeah. yeah there were also some, like, I think some 90s, like some 90s stuff. I was like, there's a little bit of era jumping, I think, going mm-hmm. on in here. It was, you know, with some Jurassic these, Park. It was really just chock full of, of new references and new characters. Now, um, the introduction of Max and her older brother, Billy, who is a hyper villain, it, very much in the vein of the Kiefer Sutherland character. It was Kiefer Sutherland in um, in Stand By Me, right? Who plays like the super mean older brother. It's in that movie with the vampires. Yeah, he's very Lost much Boys. in the vein of like the Lost Boys, Kiefer Sutherland character, or the older brother in Stand By Me who's just a villain for being a villain's sake. Yeah, not a villain, but a super dick. No, a villain who okay, actually no. wants to kill them. Well, like, he's not a monster who wants to swallow people. But I, but but your point is taken. No, but her, but it's Max's older brother Billy. Like you really, the sense of dread you have with him is that he mm-hmm. could kill them, and mm-hmm. that is very much in line with the Stephen King. That's a total Stephen King older kid yeah. villain. Like not just a bully, yeah. but like actually. Well, there's could the kill big you. bad, and then there's like this other piece of the conflict who where you have you. yeah, yeah. Um, Laura, what did you think of this character Billy? Do you think, and a lot of the stuff that we saw in our page and I saw on social media is we don't quite get enough about why he is so fucked up. Do you think that that's the case? Yeah, I almost feel like he's like a placeholder for season three. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I don't think I got a complete picture. Like we we got a little bit of insight at one point when we see the father kind of, you know, roughing him up and, you know, slamming him up against the wall later in the series as to maybe why he's acting like such a dick. But I don't feel like he was just sort of a character who was there. Like I said, I think I was telling you guys last time, he reminded me of someone who actually went to my high school who drove his car around like that. But I was waiting for him to play some sort of role in the storyline other than just being a jerk. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really happen this season. So I'm thinking he's here because he's going to be somehow involved to a greater degree you know, in, in season three or season four, maybe there's something more about why they moved from California that we're going to find out about mm-hmm. and why they're not there anymore. But I felt like we really didn't learn that much about him. Right. Like we did, we got with Steve in season one, yeah. where he had a more yeah. complete character development. Well, Steve's character mm-hmm. development, like, comes to, like, a whole new level of fruition in series two. He becomes the babysitter to the yeah. gang of kids. He gives his us his real hair tips. Uh, he he and Dustin kind of pair up and make do like a little buddy movie thing, uh-huh. and it's really kind of fucking sweet, right? 
I think it's really sweet. I said he was the most improved character. That's what I said, Steve. Most improved character from season one. I mean, I didn't like him in season one. In season two, I'm like, hey, he's a pretty good guy. <laughs> he's a sweetheart, they say in, uh, in some parts of Boston. Toby, I want to talk about one of the side stories that, that takes place in the show, and that is that Jonathan, uh, the older brother of Will, who from we know from the first season, Jonathan is the outsider older kid who's taking pictures the whole time and is also getting bullied in his own way. And Nancy, go on a road trip in a complete ode to war games Matthew Broderick and Ali what was her face she. Ali she Sheedy's did. road trip to go see the Ray Cluse conspiracy theory believing guy who lives like on an island by himself these two go and meet a conspiracy theory guy who lives in a, a fortress in a city who shows them the path to you know kind of succeed and, and save the day and so forth what did you think of that little side road trip storyline in the show did that work for you or not I don't know it worked better than than episode seven <laughs> but uh let's get to it let's let's not have any more discussion let's talk about episode seven let's talk about okay. the sister let's, let's hug it out let's it. let's talk about how that the beginning of season two was set up with this whole side storyline by someone who was clearly in some way related to l and then in episode seven for our listeners who are listening to this and who aren't going to watch it or who haven't watched it and who are going to watch it but listening anyway what happens is the end of episode six there is a climax in action with all of your favorite characters in total danger and it's one of those completely chaotic cliffhangers where everyone is about to die cut to episode seven which is basically like a poorly done version of the matrix in which uh, eleven our heroine gets slicked back hair and goes to beat bad guys with a bunch of totally stereotypical ne'er-do-wells including somebody who was ostensibly her sister toby go what do you think about episode seven i thought it was fucking horrible (laughs) and you know i have seen that people say you know they needed to expand the scope. They need to give a little more backstory for 11, you know, all of which is fine, but they didn't have to do it like that. Mm-hmm. It truly was cringeworthy. And I just don't even know. I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, I think, you know, in some ways it was calling back to these sort of army of misfits movies of the eighties. I was thinking of, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Deep cut, Toby. Way to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is a classic. But, but yet he's never seen Goonies. But it, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but I, that, yeah. It's all, it's all about, there's a crucial like three years. <laughs> um, wait, what was I saying? You were saying the Army of yeah. Misfits, the Outsider movies. And I, it just, it was... It was such a change in tone. Mm-hmm. The scene where, where L is basically going to strangle that guy to death mm-hmm. seems very off. Right. I, I, I just felt, you know, you've got a world of possibilities yep. for expanding on her character, for widening the scope. And this seemed like one of the, the worst choices they could have made. And it, it also, you know, I'm sure it's setting up season three or whatever, but it has almost no relation to the rest of the... Yeah. Right. Like, it, it's not even critical. Like, you could take that yeah. entire episode out, and I don't think you lose anything from the story at all. Let me tell you what um, I think is the deep, deep, deep flaw in that part of the story. So, first of all, I liked the part where she goes to, and finds her mother, and they sort of I explore that mm-hmm. backstory of the mother because it is very much lives inside of this story as we know it, right? It just, right. it closes that part of the mystery. Like what happened to the mother, how the disconnect happened, how she was born. This whole sequence where she goes to, what is it, Chicago or whatever. Yeah. 
not only is it outside of, you know, the actual universe of the story, it's also just not in any way presented or written like the rest of the story. So I'll give you some examples. In The Stranger Things, obviously it's a fantastical story that is so grounded in so much reality, despite all of its pop culture references, there's so much about it that they take such pains to make feel and look real. Like, the parents' houses look like parents' houses in the 1980s. The hair, Mm -hmm. the costuming, the Amway boxes in one of the family's homes that you see on the floor, just the detail, the whole thing where, um, you know, Nancy can leave for two days because she's saying she's sleeping at someone's house. I see people complaining about that. That is actually what life in the 80s was completely like. You would mm-hmm. say you were sleeping somewhere, you were actually sleeping somewhere else. No cell phone. There were no yeah, cell right, phones yeah. and you get away with that shit and the benign neglect going on in the 1970s and 80s between parents and kids was like off the charts. That yeah. is how it worked. This episode has a gang of, I can't tell if they're supposed to be kids or adults, living ostensibly in a warehouse that somehow has electricity. Right, it has right? electricity, yeah. With <laughs> bad dialogue, they're car thieves it's like a different genre of movie that they're aping. Yeah. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't look real. And I'm not saying this whole thing feels, but the parts that feel real of Stranger Things, what makes it so good, is the parts that feel real feel fucking real. And this does not. One of the, the worst parts of this episode is, you know, this yard sale suicide squad <laughs> that uh, yes. they end up with. Like, like all of the other characters... In this gang, other right. than eight, which I think I can't remember her she was given fine. name. She was fine. She, yeah. she would have been fine in a different context. Oh, were played horribly. They were yeah. acted horribly. They were written horribly. I know the Duffer brothers have really defended this episode as a pilot. Like, it was a pilot within the show and it was something different. Like, why would she be and with we those need, people? Well, right? we needed to get Elle from here to there and complete her, her trip back to to Hawkins. And I just like, no, it just, it, it really just Mm-mm. didn't work. It, it just, and it's too bad because it, the show starts off with them, with this gang, and the revelation, like, oh, yeah, there are other people from the lab who are out there with other powers. Right. And that has a lot of promise. And it just was like— They should have just let it go at that it, point, I think. Well, if if they could have done something a lot better with that. But to be like this vigilante gang, and they're going to turn L essentially into like this— This gang you know, stereotypes. The punk one. It, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. The, the one dressed like the mini Joker— it was ridiculous. It was stupid. It, it, was, it was really, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Yeah. And and I think that, um, you know, the criticism that the Duffers get for, I think, is, you know, deserved. I agree with everything you've all said, because that was the thing, Rebecca, that struck me the most, what you were referencing. It was like, we went from, um, you know, we have kind of like horror, kind of like 80s movie kind of theme sort of feel. And then we go into this just like total wacko Chicago scene. I was buying it when she went to see her mother. I wanted to know what happened to her mother. I was happy when we found out, okay, this is why your mother keeps repeating the same things over and over again, Rainbow Room. And I I even could get behind Elle having a sister, having, uh, you know, I think there is something really interesting to the angle of having more people out there like her that have these powers. But I would like to see those people like in normal settings, you know, living in some, you know, other remote area or some other town or some other interesting location. It just, it didn't match at all. I I think the writing... Uh, in season two is is sort of poorer all around than it was in season one. So I, I think the easiest parts to compare are, you know, when they basically they trash uh, Winona Ryder's house in each one of them. <laughs> yeah. And in, in the first one, she figures out that Will's trying to communicate with her through the lights. 
and she comes up with this very clever solution to the problem of trying to understand what he's saying, which is, you know, setting up the alphabet so that he can spell things out for her. And then in Stranger Things 2, Will's doing this kind of like maniac drawing and all the drawings basically look the same, but for some reason, like they think they can see yeah, like that they all fit different in a puzzle. But then when you look at all the pieces, you're like, all these pieces are exactly freaking exactly. the same. You're just like making <laughs> stuff up. All right. So there's that. Unless you're Bob and the then, Brain. He's good at jigsaw puzzles and maps. For, yeah. For some reason, the guy from the Goonies is like, oh, you know, it's it's tunnels and you yeah. know, it doesn't go underwater <laughs> and, you know, this is our town and, and this is where this is. It's like, no, dude, that is like the classic kind of authorial, like, we need to figure out some way to make this happen. Right. So I'm going to write this into it. Right. It's poor compared to in the previ- in, in the first season, which was to set up a very creepy, difficult situation and sort of naturally let the characters come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. Well, I there are some things that I think are really good about season two, and you might not all agree with me, so I'm going to run down a few of those all right. and see what you think. I loved the dynamic between Sheriff Hopper and Eleven, even though I think it kept her out of the action a little too long. Right. I loved the difficult parent-child relationship that we saw there. Kevin, did you like that? I did. I did. And actually, and, yeah, and it was a, an unexpected pairing. Uh, but then again, you know Hopper's backstory after losing his daughter. And, but then uh, you realize he had never told anybody. It's just something that we knew as an audience. Knew we, right, we knew as an audience, mm-hmm. right. Um, Eleven is still a fantastic character as far as I'm concerned. We talked about, I don't think we've talked about this before, where Elle is a Christ-like figure. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is for our evangelical friends. You know that what we talk about in the literary sense, we're talking about elements of Jesus' story that fill literature from Hemingway to E.T. Look, she has a mystical birth. She has a band of followers. Mm-hmm. She has superhuman powers. She makes a sacrifice of herself. She's a hair transformation. And she comes back from the that dead. That was a joke, by the she way. She has a hair transformation, right. <laughs> yeah. And she bleeds, but from the nose. Um, you, you know, so she's like, one of, she's these classic hero figures. So it's designs that we are to follow uh, Eleven and the mystery around her. And you're right, we she's kept out of the action for for much of the series and our, we just keep thinking how long until Eleven meets up again with, uh, with the Scooby gang. Uh, another thing I really liked about the series, even though I had a sense of dread about it the whole time, I liked, and even though I think it's an overused hackneyed thing that we saw a million times in the 80s, I liked it that Dustin adopted a little lizard and just was trying to like, like make a connection. Like, like gremlins, it was, it was gremlins. Toby sounds like you didn't like that. Look, if a year ago I had been in a school where some monster from another dimension <laughs> yeah. like almost killed me, and then I found like some sort of unidentifiable animal like skulking around, I would not make it a pet. Okay, that's a fair yeah. point. Yeah, super fair point. And I remain upset about the cat being yeah. eaten. Yeah. I am. I can't get past that scene. That was very disturbing. It was a joke, and they made a joke out of it, which I'm sure was very upsetting to you, especially since you recently lost well, a it cat. Was, it was R. very graphic. Yeah. I, I did find season two overall a lot more graphic than season one. It I was. don't know if it was just me, but I felt like it was a lot darker, a lot gorier, a lot more intense. Whereas like season one, you could see kids in the like maybe 12, 11 to 13-year-old range watching it. Season two, after the first few episodes, I was like, ah, uh, not so much. Um, it, it took on a little bit darker angle. Yep. And uh, I know we talked a little bit about the evolution of Steve, but sort of that like peeling back the layers of the Steve character, seeing a little bit more of Steve. Toby, 
Can you please get on board the Steve train with us at least for this uh, series? Yeah, no, I just, <laughs> yes. the, the Steve thing was fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved his bat with the spikes. That yeah. was pretty badass. I loved his yeah. Farrah Fawcett hairspray. I did like, <laughs> and as much as, and this is so funny because I know that I'm going to get total like crap about saying like the episode seven, it wasn't, it didn't feel real because none of this feels real. Right, yeah, but we, yeah, we but get But what does like. feel real, what's done so well is that like Steve just still has that bat in his car and that like Nancy, yeah, I know how to use a shotgun. Like those little moments that you know are like, they're fantasy. Mm-hmm. When you see the, the characters callbacks do that. to what we've seen them do, yes. but yeah. but you also you get these shows have their own internal logic that you you kind of you kind of give yourself over to, and that's why I like like you were saying it's like episode seven is so jarring because suddenly these sort of assumptions and and the the sort of deal you've made with the people who make the show about about how you're going to view it suddenly goes out the window and you're asked to make a whole bunch of other assumptions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't work. Right. I really liked the show's internal logic of the deal they made, for instance, with the government agency where they were just now going back in for checkups. Like the deal they made was like, Mm. is like, you'll help us keep this thing at bay and in exchange we won't talk to people and we'll come in for checkups and you'll hook up. To me, that was a direct reference to Exorcist 2, which was a terrible movie, but... Remember Exorcist mm-hmm. 2 where they were bringing Linda Blair into that stupid doctor's office and well, hooking her up to those electrodes? Well, Exorcist 1. No. They just put Will in front of a heat lamp. Totally, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. There's a lot of Exorcist yeah. 1 in here. Yeah. But, those, but those were some sort of direct references to Exorcist 2 in which like that also was a total disaster yeah. and didn't work. Yeah. The same thing happened in Exorcist 2 with Linda Blair with electrodes on her head. Um, but I liked that they, to me, that made sense of the internal logic. And I don't know how the controversial this is going to be, so I'm going to throw it out there. I love Bob. Loved Bob. Laura, what do you think about Bob? Uh, <laughs> I loved Bob. I was, you know, one of my favorite parts about Bob is how in the beginning he's sort of clueless and he's just like this affable, nice guy and he wants to dance to his old records, you know, and, and bring her chicken soup. And then as soon as all the crazy crayon drawing starts happening and Bob comes in, in and starts looking at it, he goes from being completely clueless to just like totally accepting, oh, yeah, OK, there's like some alien monster taking over the world and I'm going to go help fight it. Like it just the um, way that he just transitioned into that was I loved that part. Um, and I was I was sad that um, he is not going to be a recurring character. Sorry for the spoiler <laughs> there. But I was really hoping he was going to be a recurring character. Um that was definitely a disappointment. Why, why didn't he keep running? Why didn't he keep running? That was stupid. He, he was stopped. He like stopped and like gave a little smile. Yeah, he was like yeah. he, was, he was he was enjoying his moment of heroism. Kevin, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, but he able to he was able to get everybody out of the lab because he knew how to work a Commodore Vic twenty. He knew basic. He knew basic. He knew Morse yeah. code. But I, you know what I don't understand? Like that whole foreshadowing with the gun. Like the gun was not going to freaking help him when they were like, like guns didn't do anything. So why did <laughs> no, it even did. matter guns that he worked. left? Not really. Yeah, you can, you can I mean, pick it, off those things with guns. If you're you hopper, near the end, if you're hopper, you you're can. one shot harp, hopper. Huge disappointment in season two of Stranger Things. He didn't punch anybody. No punching. Damn Zero it. punching. <laughs> I wanted to see one punch hopper. Yeah, and then of I course, think it was ironic that Paul Reiser's character is the one who's caught on tape in the controversy yeah. that brings down the lab. Yet he's the only one from the lab who gets to keep his job, <laughs> so he can help <laughs> Hopper land. He's like, "Hey, man, here are all the phony papers you need for your <laughs> fake uh, alien kid. Yeah. Good luck." Yeah. Well, of course, at the end of the series, we get. Um, Pretty in Pink version two uh, with the school dance scene. Dustin's hair. <laughs> Dustin's oh, hair. Dustin hair. as Ducky. Um, you know, Nancy as the uh, heroic 
older girl who tries to make Dustin look cool by dancing with him, as we've seen in many John Hughes movies. Uh, Eleven walking in transformed with hair in a dress and... Um, her and Mike's reunion of sorts, romantic reunion. Um, they one, finally got to go to the snowball. One little quibble I have about this whole group of kids. Uh, we've now watched how many episodes of this show? 20, I think. Um, do we know Will at all? Is he still like a completely absent character that everyone just talks about, but we just don't know him at all? And, and do, do we really care? Toby, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, he's like he's like a cipher. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just he's like he's like a little abuse receptacle. <laughs> he just like takes it and takes it and takes it. I thought that uh that Mike was like completely unlikable in this douchebag. Yeah. Little douchebag. You know, if you if yeah. you hadn't seen the first series and like realized that he's like the hero, you would have been like, What a dick. Why do these guys hang out with this guy? <laughs> like he's just like sort of grumpy mm-hmm. and pissed off all mm-hmm. the time. Yep. He's yeah. mean to everyone. He's, He's mad about Eleven. <laughs> and he like attacks Hopper. I was like, I can't imagine like being like 12 years old and attacking an adult. Yeah. And a like cop. thinking that was okay. <laughs> it's just like, what the, f- you know, get a hold of yourself. He just, he <laughs> saved your girlfriend. He just brought your girlfriend over and your response is to attack him. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Anyway. Obviously we have differing feelings. We have some unevenness. Um, does anybody have any final just things that we didn't touch upon that they want to mention about uh, Stranger Things season two? I mean, it was a long uh, seven episodes. Lots, uh, lots and lots of things happen. Well, two things, and they both have to do with that Kip Winger guy. Um, <laughs> one is my my favorite scene in the entire thing was when he's flirting with Mike's mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I thought, that, I thought that was very funny. And then, I don't know, is he supposed to be a racist? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, cu- I, mm. I couldn't figure out exactly, like, what his... What his deal with Lucas was? Yeah, and in, in this in the strong tradition of '80s movies villains, he doesn't like anyone who's different. He drives a fast a full car. On, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. a full on racist, full on right. cracker I, with some great abs. There was quite a man them. bun scene of him <laughs> walking away at one point. I, I will say there is a wonderful video that you can find, search on Facebook or search online of his audition tape for this part. He's an Australian really? actor, yeah. and he put together the most incredible audition tape. Like he filmed it at his house. Like some, he like oiled his own chest up. Uh-huh. He dances yeah. to Hungry Like a Wolf uh, from Duran oh, Duran. And he does all this, like a lot of the scenes and you can just, it's like so obvious why they gave him this role uh-huh. see his audition tape. Kevin, you final thoughts? Yeah, the the scene that I like was when Lucas told Max about, so I'm going to tell you what happened. And so we assume that he tells her the story of, you know, season one. And her reaction was, I liked it. It was a little derivative, <laughs> <laughs> which is what the critics said about season one. Yeah, it's a little derivative of Stephen King. The whole thing is derivative Steven it's on Spielberg, purpose. But in, a, but in the best possible way. It's derivative on purpose. That's the whole point. It's meta, 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 meta. Well, but... there's a difference between derivative and paying homage to, right. and I think it, it has to do with the way you pull it off. Right. If you don't pull it, up, pull it off well... Like maybe parts of season two, it's derivative. Right. And by the way, uh, Toby, when poor R.I.P. Bob looking at the map and he says, oh, it's like Pirate's Treasure. (laughs) That was a Goonies reference. (laughs) And if you'd ever seen Goonies, you would know what we were talking about. All right. Now it's time to do the thing that we do where we (laughs) review. We each give a thumbs up or thumbs down and let our listeners know what we think of Stranger Things season two. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Do you give Stranger Things season two a thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. Um, I really liked it. Like I said, it was a a lot darker, I thought, than season one. 
one, but it was um, something that I loved watching um, and I am eager for season three. Toby, what about you? I kind of struggle with this one a little bit because I think you could watch it and really enjoy it. But I think, you know, following up on season one, I I just found it to be pretty disappointing, uh, quite honestly. So I, I guess I give it a like super tepid thumbs up but it, sideways. it's not no yeah, it would just be a thumb sideways but i just don't i don't want to make patrick unhappy nope. <laughs> i'm gonna give it a thumbs up i'm gonna recommend our listeners um if you haven't watched stranger things season two and you think you're gonna watch it or you want to watch it i would like you to try to watch it and skip episode seven and see what you think <laughs> and then you can go back after the whole thing's over and watch episode seven and you can decide whether or not we were right about it it's a standalone episode it is outside of the flow of the rest of the show and i don't think you're missing much you skip episode seven for me it has like a little bit of battlestar galactica syndrome where um the last couple episodes of my favorite tv show of all time battlestar galactica are so horrible that i honestly wish i had never seen them because it oh. tainted the whole thing like- X-Files. A Same show thing. that I loved yeah. for years and years that was like the highest quality, best written thing I've ever seen. Just They just ditched it in the last couple of episodes. They just tanked it. And it makes me so angry. And I just wish I had never seen them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how I feel about episode seven in a season that I otherwise didn't enjoy as much as season one, but definitely still thumbs up. Kevin, what about you? I'm a thumbs up. I think season two of Stranger Things is good. I don't think it's great. Season one was great. I think this was good. I mean, I th- and um, I am still going to be very interested in in seasons three and four uh, to see where they go because as we see from the very last shot the big bad is still out there whatever that creature is I mean something sneezed on Dustin and uh, Sheriff Hopper and so I think that's again last season we saw you know a, a slug come out of will and go down the drain so, so something from the upside down is Still hanging out with our characters, dude. Joyce and Sheriff Hopper—they need to fucking quit smoking like right away. Because the other it's thing, the, the other big bad that's hanging out there is like you guys are it's totally going to get cancer, guys. Yeah. yeah, knock it off with the smoking and the secondhand smoke. Yeah, um, and uh, so again, I am a thumbs up. Uh, I like it uh, better than Egos. <laughs> Hey, but you know what's better than an Eggo? What? A smoothie from Daily Harvest. Oh hell yeah, that's better than an Eggo. Yeah, Daily Harvest has those picture perfect nutrients in their smoothies without having to hit the farmer's market and chop up a million fruits and vegetables. Now you can get all your superfoods super fast with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest sends superfoods straight to your door with your choice of smoothies, activated breakfast bowls, or nice cream, vegan sundaes. Each single serving cup comes ready to blend or to heat. Daily Harvest freezes all of their ingredients at peak freshness, sealing in their nutritional value. And preparing each cup is just insanely easy. You add water, or if you're feeling really fancy, like you can, Rebecca, you can substitute other liquids like coconut milk or almond milk. And either way, your Daily Harvest cup is ready in just 30 seconds. So you can eat right right now. Daily Harvest is awesome. You know, I love the smoothies. I love the soups. I love the ice creams. I love putting our blender like through its little paces every morning and making myself a delicious, nutritious, superfood smoothie out of things like cacao and avocado and all sorts of hearty grains. And then it would just taste like a delicious ice cream smoothie. Delicious. It's one of my favorite like food products that I've tried of this ilk 
period. And I just absolutely love having them in the freezer, and I, I eat them all the time. And you know how, like, on some products, like, they'll list their ingredients, like, really small letters? Yeah, I don't do that here. No, on, on the side of the cup, it's saying big letters, strawberries. Yeah. Or... Avocado. Uh, quinoa, whatever is in it. Grains. And you get a fantastic smoothie um, that's really, really healthy for you. Even the kids you. like them. And the kids are like, they know they know the difference between ice cream and ice cream, and they love that nice cream. <laughs> Go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME and get three items free off your first box. That's a good deal. That's promo code CRIME, crime for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. What else you got, Kevin? Well, speaking of like powerful women, I want you to think about Amy Errett. Okay. Now, Amy may not be familiar to you, but what if I told you about her daughter? And her name is... Madison Reed. Oh, I know all about Madison Reed. Madison Reed is the company that's revolutionizing the way women color their hair. Uh, for decades, women have had basically two options, right? By Crappy the way, color in a box or go to a salon and pay out of the nose. That's right. Well, I'm trying to mansplain hair color to you. <laughs> Listen, little lady, let me tell you about how you're going to color your hair. Mm, you don't you're not going to do those things I know all about the options. <laughs> I know. I know about the expensive, difficult, uh, painful, difficult to schedule option and the easy, awesome, healthy option. I know all about this. Yeah, Madison Reed is the ultimate hair color hack because you get the quality of salon color and the convenience uh, and affordability of the at-home hair color, and also an ammonia-free formula with ingredients that you can feel good about. So experience beautiful, multi-dimensional hair color, made in Italy, delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Rebecca, I was running my fingers through your hair, and I thought, I know. bueno. Do you know how many compliments I got on my hair on my horrible airplane flights this last week? People, People like, complimented your hair? This is like a situation where everyone is like so unhappy because of like just the standing around, the sitting around, the being in that tiny little like tin can bucket seat. And people would turn to me and they'd be like, your hair is so beautiful. And I'd be like, thanks. I feel like my liver has been folded up like a gum wrapper, but I'm really glad that you're appreciating my awesome hair. And Madison Reed is to blame for that. For your hair, not the, the hair. liver. Yes, not exactly. The liver. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Madison Reed would like to honor Crime Writers on listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code WRITERS, plural. That's madison-reed.com. And use the promo code WRITERS, writers to get 10% off and free shipping on your first color kit. Do it. People on a crappy airplane will compliment your hair the whole time. It'll make the whole flight feel better. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. It was one of the very first viral videos little British child named Harry complained that his brother Charlie bit his finger. Oh! Oh, Charlie! Oh! <laughs> Charlie! That really hurts! Charlie, Charlie bit, bit my, my finger. finger! It has been viewed over 800 million times, but you will all never guess who was among the viewers of this video. The CIA has the Charlie Bit My Finger video. They say it was found in the fortified hideout of Osama bin Laden. Jesus. 
Reports are that bin Laden watched quite the mix of Western videos while in hiding. Things like Tom and Jerry cartoons, Pixar's cars, and tutorials on how to crochet. What? Harry, <laughs> Harry and Charlie's dad. Crocheting a suicide vest? I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Harry and Charlie's dad was surprised to learn that the Al-Qaeda leader was a fan of their kid's video. He believes even the world's most infamous terrorists like to laugh every now and then. But mom is not too pleased. She worries that her sons were potential targets. That's, what? I guess, reasonable. I'm guessing that he just thought it was cute, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? The bottom line maybe is Maybe he thought, like, the he was hoping that the kid bit really hard because <laughs> he was so mean. He's I like, don't know. Harry and Charlie are obviously fine, but no viral video is off the radar of terrorists. So I'm curious, what other viral video star may have caught the attention of Osama bin Laden or another terrorist. Lar Bricker, what viral video star do you think has terrorist appeal? Um, I think my favorite that I had to stop watching because I couldn't stop watching, Baby Monkey Going Backwards on a Pig. Has anyone seen this? <laughs> and it's got a little song. It's Baby Monkey. Baby monkey going on a pig, baby monkey. And then it like rides around the playground and it's like holding on for dear life. I think that I could see them watching these videos because they they really are addictive. They also have like a little um, hamster eating a burrito Mm -hmm. with its own song. It's like hamster eating a burrito. Um, Jeez. I would recommend. I will post a link um, on the Crime Writers on Discussion so everybody else can see the baby monkey. Yes, the most terrorist attracted uh, viral videos by Laura Bricker. They hate us for our freedom, Rebecca. <laughs> what, what do you think, Toby? Uh, what viral videos do you think was probably beloved by Osama bin Laden or could distract the attention of a, of a really high-level terrorist? If they really wanted to understand America, I think... You'd be watching those those two fishermen from Boston or wherever they're from <laughs> who see, find that dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know how to describe it anymore other than, you know what I'm talking about, I though, do. right? I do. Sure do. Just wake you. Why? Yeah. <laughs> what is it, dude? Dude, dude it's alive! <laughs> Dude, we got to save that thing. Um, well, I, I'm kind of all over the map with this because um, I am on, the, on board with Laura. I do think that Osama bin Laden probably definitely would have loved that tiny little baby porcupine eating that tiny little baby pumpkin. You know, that one we've all seen. But I think I kind of got to go with like my all time favorite high school generated viral video of all time. Damn, Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Back at it again with the white vans. What about you, Kevin? What do you think? Well, I, if I were the chocolate rain guy, I would be really, <laughs> I would be in hiding right now because I think they would be coming for him. Really? Yeah. And, and and actually, I probably, if they got him, I probably wouldn't be. Oh, he's so great. He follows you on Twitter, doesn't he? he the chocolate me. rain guy? Yeah. Well, he has my thoughts and prayers. <laughs> All right. We should probably end it on that note. Uh, Laura Bricker, if people want to tweet funny viral animal videos with you or perhaps check out the links that you've recommended, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to tweet with you and maybe like see that Boston dead fish video that you can't stop talking about, how can they find you online? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if people want to tweet to you, how can they find you there? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And feel free to tweet to me about at United. You can also check out my podcast, HGTV and Me. This week's episode, which has actually dropped, is all about Love It or Listed and why everyone yells at Hillary. You can tweet <laughs> to our show at Crime Writers On. Join the fine folks in the official 
Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group, or leave a comment on our regular page. If you love the show or any of our other podcasts, tell a friend. If you haven't already, leave a review on iTunes. And here's an idea. Got a comment or question for us? Leave a voicemail on our podcast hotline. The number is 7-BLEED-BAG-1. We also have that number posted on our website, crimewriterson.com. Worst number ever. Line production for Partners in Crime Media by the very handsome Henry Lavoy. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C. And before that, the closet in our basement where definitely one of our sons is keeping a lizard that's going to turn into a monster that's going to eat us. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. The cow says, Meow. Meow. No, the cow on the CNSA always says, like, Meow. Did you ever have a CNSA? I did. What does your CNSA say? The cow says, That might be right. Hold on, let me look it up. a cow in a slaughterhouse. The cow tastes good. Do your sheep impression. It's always good. The sheep says The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Go to linkedin.com slash crime for a $50 credit towards your first job post. linkedin.com slash crime. Terms and conditions apply. Partners in Crime Media. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.